What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I do love how they ragdoll all those bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. I mean, am I crazy? Huh? I mean, th- this is all I am trying to say here, okay? If, if you put me in the game, Brad Bramish is going to do what needs to be done. <laughs> this is Recotopia episode three. I'm Chris Atkinson. And I'm Jeremy Scott. That's right. And today, our biggest, our, our big recommend is going to be Brick. But we're going to get into some other smaller recommends and everything. But anyway, hi, chat. How's everybody going? How's everybody doing? You, ha- you have a good weekend? Did you find your dad? Yeah, did you find your dad? <laughs> um, all right. Who wants to start off with small recommends this week? Oh, well, you go Go ahead with your small recommend. It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. I'm going to go on with my bad self. And I'm going to recommend a movie that I believe uh, most of the world considers bad. Okay. Uh, I'm going to recommend The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. (laughs) I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for this one, too. (laughs) Yeah. um, I had seen it. It came out in 2013. I'd seen it a couple times back then, but it's been running on one of the movie channels lately, and I've probably seen it maybe two times in the last week. And I, I can find few flaws. I, I think I understand why people don't like it. It's a 38 on Rotten Tomatoes, Mm -hmm. which is not good. Not good at all. Uh, but I can't help wonder if this is one of those movies that eventually we'll decide we got wrong when it came out. I find Jim Carrey's performance to be one of his very funniest performances of all time. Yeah. He plays a, he plays a, what's the name of the guy? He's Chris Angel, I guess. He's it's kind of, yeah, it's a Chris Angel on, type of like thing. A yeah. street magician, but his tricks are all ludicrously, <laughs> awesomely funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, he tells a guy to pick a card and put it back in the deck after writing his mom's name on it. And then he says, punch me in the face. And he basically <laughs> goads this guy into punching him in the face. And then out of the cut, he pulls the card with the, the mom's name on it. It's so absurd. Um, Olivia Wilde is in this. She's mm. very dry, very funny. Um, fucking Alan Arkin is in this. And he's hysterical. Um, and even, uh, Jay Moore, it's just a cast full of people. I haven't even mentioned that it, it's basically <laughs> Steve Carell and Steve Buscemi playing, mm-hmm. uh, Las Vegas main stage magicians who've gone stale. And this Jim Carrey magician is stealing Steve Gray is his name. He's stealing mm-hmm. all the popularity and thunder. And so James Gandolfini, who owns the casino, basically challenges them. Hey, you got to come up with a better show. Uh, and they do this ridiculously dumb stunt where they 
plan to hang in a glass box for seven days. Uh, they, they make it like seven minutes. Uh, and then they have a falling out. They're not friends anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil the whole plot to you, but I, I laugh consistently throughout this movie. I think it has a little bit of heart. Um, it's ridiculous, especially the ending. It's if we mm-hmm. ever sinned this movie, we'd probably add a thousand sins for that final trick that they do, mm-hmm. uh, which is also criminal as hell. But yeah, I do love how they ragged all those bodies. <laughs> throwing them into the trucks oh man I love this movie I can't figure out what it is that made it get such bad reviews uh, when it first appeared you said you have kind of a soft spot when was the last time you saw it Yeah, it was in theaters I was working at Hollywood 27 when this came out and uh, uh, there's a moment that I really enjoy in this because you know Carell and Buscemi have this uh, act that requires two people and when Buscemi leaves the the act in the middle of the movie, Carell tries to go on and do the same thing. And like he's on stage doing all this stuff that requires two people and everything. And it's just it 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 hits my it hits me right in the in the funny bone for it. And uh and the Jim Carrey stuff and 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 uh is is this the one also where there's that is there an old magician that they follow like there's yeah. a, who's who plays that that's who alan arkin the, alan arkin yeah, yeah 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 he was the one that inspired them to become magicians when they were kids and now he's in a nursing home and they reinvigorate each other's love of magic mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> he's really funny uh i love when shemi quits magic and goes down to like the rainforest to give out mm-hmm. magic kits to the indigenous kids. <laughs> yeah. And then later when he comes back, he's like, it turns out they didn't want magic. They just wanted food and clean water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if you have uh, ever heard my recommendations on the previous podcast uh, or in general, you think uh, you know my taste well enough to know what you're getting into. This is two thumbs up for me. I laugh very hard at this movie and uh, screw the critics. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. And uh, yeah, I, we all have those, don't we? Like, uh, and you know, it, it all comes down to how these things hit you a lot of times. And, yep. and, and for some people, those various things that we just mentioned are, you know, comedy, you know, whatever comedy, ter- like comedy disease, I guess, you know, like <laughs> that's not, not funny at all, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do something similar because, um, the IMDB has this show that I just watched at a 6.4. So, uh, so a lot of people weren't enjoying this, but I really liked it. And it is, I'm going to read this off here. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, ha! uh, which is, uh, is, uh, Kristen Bell. And it's a uh, sort of a take on the girl in the train and the woman in the window and all those type of movies where women are seeing things, but Oh, but they have an alcoholic problem and they may not be seeing those things. And, and, uh, and they have all these other, you know, everything is heightened, uh, melodrama, but, in this one, everything is played completely straight, except for maybe like one or two instances hmm. where they where they really do seem to kind of wink at you a little bit, which I, I would have been fine if they didn't. But I think they occasionally do that because they're. I think sometimes somebody, some producer probably was like, "Come on, guys, we're, we're playing this so straight. Can we give anything to the audience here that hmm. we're not being completely on the level?" And, um, and, and so 
Now, this is uh, Kristen Bell. <laughs> Kristen Bell is this uh, uh, woman who is divorced. Michael Ely plays her uh, ex-husband. Uh, they had a daughter who who uh, who died. And you're gonna find out how she died later. And of course, the way this, the way they, the way they portray this, the way they just kind of very casually say how she died uh, and everything. I don't want to spoil anything about it, um, but is is just like you can't believe your jaw is gonna drop. Like how casually they say this. Hmm. Um, but Kristen Bell has an aversion to rain and. Uh, and uh, she does. She can't go out in the rain without being just f- severely emotionally crippled and everything. So of course, there's many moments in there where she'll run out and it starts raining and she just falls, <laughs> crumples into a ball and everything. But the main story is, uh, you know, she a new neighbor uh, uh, moves in across the street. Uh, she starts, uh, she thinks that, oh, maybe this is me and him can get together and everything. She's kind of feeling some vibes. He's got a young daughter. Uh, he apparently also lost his wife and she like, it was a, another tragedy there. And so like, it's like, oh, maybe, you know, this can, this can happen. And then he, she finds out, oh, he's got a girlfriend. And then the girlfriend, like she she thinks that she sees the girlfriend get murdered one night so this sets sets her in motion this whole thing where she thinks she's seen this woman murdered she starts uncovering things trying to look trying to think trying thinks that maybe the man across the street is a murderer mm. and is is and, and looks into things so deeply that of course nobody believes her there's a lot of characters involved here that could be the murderer then, but but when she says that she sees this, everybody's telling her no. She's the that she's not dead. She went to Seattle or whatever. So, so like it's a, a whole like thing going on there where we don't know what to believe. She's an unreliable narrator, that type mm. of thing. And there's so many moments where she's narrating, and it's it's so purposefully overwrought. You know, mm. like that just like has has this kind of this. When she says it out loud, it sounds so stupid, but she says it so seriously that, you know, and so I can imagine that there were people who watched this going, is this serious? I don't know if this is serious or not. And, and really just picked up on the bad on everything and then, and didn't give it the sort of the do that it, but that's not for everybody. You know I mean? There's so many things out there that if you don't get that, if you don't get that kind of thing this is not going to be for you at all. You know, this is, it's, it's too straight. Uh, I think for some, for some people to, to take, uh, as a comedy. Mm. And so, uh, Kristen Bell is great in this. Uh, you know, I, I, it's amazing how many, how many shows she's been in at this point, Veronica Mars and, and the good place. She's great. And all of this stuff. Mm. Uh, we had, uh, earlier we had somebody, was it Nick that said that yes. the show was funny. And then, uh, another person now is saying, uh, and I'm sorry, is it Obina? I don't know. I, I, I don't want to like mess up the people's names, but the, the best thing about the show is how little of it needs to be over the top for it to still work as a parody. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This is exactly how you make these type of things. Um, uh, you know, the one of the things that about the, and this is not getting into date movie and uh, scary movie territory and all that type of stuff, but when, when you watch the, the one thing that they really took out of those, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of things to be left to be, left to, left to be desired in those movies, but 
they wink at everything. Everything is like mugging for the camera and like, oh, look how funny this is. You got to laugh at this, right? It's so funny. Right. And when when you and it, they don't realize how much funnier it is when you don't do that. And hmm. uh, and if they had made the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window like that, where they were kind of just like telling real jokes in this, because I don't think there's any moment in here where somebody's trying to be funny. Hmm. Um. If they'd done that, I think that would have taken away from the 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 ultra seriousness of the of the show. So, anyway, I highly recommend it, even though it has only a six point four on the IMDb. Um, if you like that kind of humor, where they just don't they just don't let you in on it, they don't they don't let you they don't let you know that they're joking the entire time. Uh, this is for you. Hmm. Awesome. Well, that's quite a recommend. Now, uh. <clears throat> I'm going to go off book. I apologize to you and our producer, Aaron, for uh, going off script from the prep list today. But I want to oh, know. I Oh, off the list. Well, you know, I, I sent you what I was planning to do, and only one of them was a movie, and one was a cheese, and mm-hmm. one was a pillow. And I don't really mm-hmm. want to be the guy who's always recommending Mountain Dew and cheese and pillows and mm-hmm. things like you that. You could be that guy, though. I mean, it would very easily work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but I want to recommend a book that I've been reading on my Kindle and I'm trying to pull up right now and I am not very good with Kindling, but the book is called, that's the copyright, Monster City, Murder, Music, and Mayhem in Nashville's Dark Age. Huh. Um, <clears throat> I started reading this because I live in Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, but it's uh, by Michael Artfeld and it's about a cop who lived in Nashville and solved more cl- cold cases in the 80s Solve more cold cases, period, than any other detective in American history. Like, mm-hmm. tons and tons of cold cases, but also caught serial killers. Um, and Nashville in the 70s and 80s was this bizarre hub for uh, violent crime and serial uh, criminals because of the way the interstates converged uh, right there at downtown. They still mm-hmm. yep. um, <clears throat> And so it was very easy to just swoop into town, find a victim, and get right back out of town. No kidding. Um, so this is a nonfiction book. This guy spent days and days and days interviewing this man. Um, and and I had no idea that this had gone on uh, in Nashville's backyard. Now, I wasn't living here until 1999, 98. Uh, so this was all before my time. But I'd never heard any of this story about this local cop who was basically like – a guy out of a movie. Uh, and, and my hope is that eventually, if this continues the way it's been going, this book, um, maybe one day they'll make a movie out of it because yeah. he's a fascinating guy. And just the way that he thinks, the way that cold cases are cold for a reason, they're nearly impossible to close. And mm-hmm. this dude just comes along and just obliterates them. And it's fascinating. So yeah. uh, that, I've already put the Kindle away like a moron, but the name of the book is Monster City. Murder, Music, and Mayhem in Nashville's Dark Age by Michael Arntfeld. And uh, I suggest you check it out. I'm about two-thirds of the way through and have loved it. What does it consider Nashville's Dark Age? Um, the, the age of when the killings took place. So basically the 70s and 80s. Okay, 70s and 80s. That, that streak of violent crime, yeah. Mm, yeah. All right, let's hear, uh, let's hear your second recommend. Uh, the next recommend is Nightmare Alley, the Guillermo del Toro movie. Nice. Um... I've seen the original. Uh, I watched the original. I like the original pretty well. I think I like this one better, and I don't know 
if it's just because it's just <laughs> hate, hate to say it, it's just more modern and it's more colorful and it's more there's actors that i know in it and you know uh, things of that nature maybe that's what it is uh i don't think there's too many differences between the guillermo del toro version and the older version except that it looks way slicker and they've changed a couple of plot um, elements that really didn't matter that much from the original um but this movie is beautiful uh mm. to look at and of course i mean that's the hallmark of all guillermo del toro movies um but it stars bradley cooper as a guy we see him at the very beginning of this uh putting a body down in the basement of a house and then burning the house and then next thing you know he's looking for work at the circus and okay. uh and uh and uh so he so he's uh basically just doing menial tasks you got people like ron perlman in here and you got uh um you got willem dafoe and rooney mara are all working at this at this circus um he bradley cooper does these jobs for a while he falls in love with rooney mara um but ron perlman is there to say no 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 you can't uh can't be making the making the sex with Rooney, Rooney Mar because I had a deal with my dad with, with with her dad that I would protect her so that means no sex ever um and uh but uh he he starts getting interested in this one show that uh uh was it was her name oh no uh Tony Collette Tony Collette does this show uh, with her husband, David Strathairn, uh, where, uh, they, you know, they just do stuff and it's, it's crowd work, like the John Edwards almost, except it's not, it's not, it doesn't get, this is where it, the movie is headed, the John Edwards stuff, but like they, they stay away from all the, the, like, you know, what they call the spook show. They're just looking for regular details about people's moms and parents, you know, just the, like, you know, is Thanksgiving important to you? Um, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, he, he, he starts to, uh, because David Strathairn is such a, is such a drunkie, uh, the, uh, the Bradley Cooper ends up having to, to sort of fill in a little bit. And then he starts to, he starts to live with them, basically starts hanging out with Tony Collette and David Strathairn. Tony Collette, uh, has no qualms about like, uh, coming on to Mr. Cooper, uh like as soon as the husband walks out the door um but he's he soon learns that there's a trick there's a method to all this madness like there's a very complex language that she and he are are doing out in the crowd like doing this crowd work basically he's he's underneath the stage fit feeding her information but um but the the show is not that's not what Bradley Cooper wants to do. It's a it's a different kind of show. It's an offshoot of that basically, where you can go out into a crowd and like just say, you know, there's a P name, you know, whatever. Somebody's got a P name or whatever, and then you know you you start gravitating towards people and everything. But it's a complex language that they t tell each other. Uh, everything means like a certain thing, certain, certain words mean certain other things so that they can come up with the right answer for the people that they're doing in this show. So Bradley Cooper, uh, after there's a, there's a mo I'm, I'm not going to spoil too much, but there's a point where he takes Rooney Mara with him on to another show. He, he starts the show by himself basically. 
and you can see he's like he's like now he's like super well dressed and he's like well to do and and everything and he's got Rooney Mara helping him and uh and uh there's a there's a show where she makes a mistake and he starts to starts to go into what we call the spook show which people tell don't ever do this because this is what this is this starts getting dangerous cuz people start wanting to they start wanting to see their loved ones that have died and everything. But he he can see the grift in all of this. He can see that, you know, you can make a lot of money doing this. And one night he runs into Kate Blanchett, who thinks that she can trip him up during a show, and he successfully turns the tables on her. But then they come up with he and Kate Blanchett come up with an idea. Why don't we find these wealthy people who have lost loved ones and uh, do this to them and pretend like we can talk to their loved ones uh, from beyond and ultimately ending up on Richard Jenkins, who is really good in this, uh, in this movie. Uh, Richard Jenkins is sort of like, um, you know, uh, at all costs wants to wants to talk to his uh long lost daughter uh and all this um this movie is really good and it and and it's one of those that very by the end of it with the very end shot is going to make you feel the chills um at the end of this um uh, as it, you know, it, it rewards, it, it rewards you, uh, for paying attention, um, uh, throughout, uh, once the, uh, ending of this happens. So, um, I was, I, I'm not the biggest of Guillermo del Toro fans. Uh, I, I have enjoyed many of his movies, but I've never been over the moon about them. Like a lot of people seem to get whenever he comes out with a new thing. Uh, but I think this one is well deserving of the uh, accolades it's been getting. I uh, I was talking to Patrick, who's on screen here, saying there will be <laughs> mentalism. He yep, said this yep. movie reminded him of there will be blood with some mystical shit. Um, <clears throat> you're making me want to see it. Um, mm -hmm. When I talk to him, not so much, uh, which is not on him. Uh, it does seem to be the kind of movie that some people really like and some people just don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um I've I've seen a lot of both kinds of takes, but I didn't know the trailers did not do enough to tell me what this movie was about. I thought it was much more supernatural shit, and maybe it is at the end. But the whole idea of the the mentalism uh, stuff kind of intrigues me, uh, and I like all these actors. So and that, and that's one thing that I will give this movie credit for is it it never once at all suggest that it could be real at all ever this is all oh, okay. a grift okay uh and uh and and i and i've i mentioned before there is a particular trigger about two hours into this movie right um uh so you know you <laughs> i'll be giving I don't, the same warning later in the show <laughs> so yeah yeah um but um uh, anyway, yeah, it, it's it's really good. It, I I was not expecting much out of it, and and uh, and that could be part of why I I'm I'm a little higher on it than than normal is that I wasn't expecting anything out of this, and it turned out to be really great. One thing though that I kept I was I was when I was watching this is what do we think of Rooney Mara these days? Like, what is her what when you look at her career, is it? do we do we think she's great or she seems to play this kind of role a lot hmm. um in, in this one she's uh she's the wife who uh you know kind of 
she she doesn't want to go she doesn't want to go where the to the lengths that Bradley Cooper is going in this. She likes she likes doing the the fun stuff that has nothing to do with death and everything. Um and uh but she's always that voice of reason like she does the girl with the dragon tattoo that's maybe a, a a different that's an outlier but everything else it seems like she's the moral center of almost everything maybe i'm forgetting some movie i mean she, I've in, in the social network she's kind of that um, yeah that's what i kept thinking was the social network and i kept thinking of even her little uh moment in her where she shows up yep where she's just kind of like the wife and and everything and i just feel like she's better than this but she just this is what she, the roles that she finds all the time yeah, yeah so. i agree i agree i think she's got talent i'm just not sure we are getting to explore it like the dragon tattoo performance suggests there's a lot more there mm-hmm. than most of her movies are showing us so yeah all right you ready to move on to the big recommend what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so... Big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. All right. So our uh, our combined recommend uh, this week is Ryan Johnson's Brick, uh, which came out in 2005. Um, this is Ryan Johnson's directorial debut. Actually, he had done uh, several little shorts and things of that nature before this. Um, but what uh, i gathered from uh, you know watching this and i watched some of the commentary on this movie and uh, all that is that ryan johnson was a big huge dashiell hammett fan mm-hmm. um and uh he wanted to make uh, a movie a film noir that's kind of like that and uh, how it ended up being high school students uh you know talking in this manner that they talk throughout and everything uh i don't i don't know exactly how that how that happened but he he decided to make this this movie with you know kids who are still passable for high school age or whatever most of the people in this movie if you look up they're they're like all 24 except for like uh except for like uh noah segan who's a little bit younger but um uh but uh the, the basic story is this uh joseph gordon levitt is uh is a guy in high school who used to date uh, uh, this woman played by Emily DeRaven. And, uh, and uh, she, he gets a call from her on a payphone that, and she starts rattling off all of these words in a row that she, he doesn't quite understand. He, she says brick. She says, she says the pen. She says mm-hmm. all these different words that he's like, what? I don't even know what these mean. Um, and by the next day, she's dead and doesn't and he doesn't understand why and he has his friend called he calls him the brain he's like uh throwing some theories off and trying to figure out who could be behind this who could be the pen all this stuff what does the pen mean what does brick mean what does all these type of things mean and he he's sort of just thrust into this world of 
like it's normal high school stuff, but like filmed at this weird, like uh, different lens, different. I mean, there's a point where he keeps uh, visiting Megan Good, who's like, who's always doing plays or something like that. She's always around the stage. Always. And, uh, and she she'll she'll say hey go get this for me and there's some dude from under the like under the camera will come up like they've just been sitting there the whole time she calls like, him like her dog she calls him lap dog and yeah. then the rest of the movie he just is there there suddenly occasionally mm, yeah so he's trying to figure out this he's trying to solve this murder basically he has he finds he finds emily de raven in this tunnel uh out out in the middle of nowhere where this water is running through it it's this real dingy place with a bunch of graffiti and everything and uh he finds her and uh and he wants to he he wants to figure out who's responsible so he starts doing a he starts asking these people who he thinks it might have to do with and it's it's it basically centers on drug dealers and there's a lot of characters in this that he keeps on trying to find information from one is noah segan who is in every ryan johnson movie um uh who plays a guy by the uh uh the uh uh was it the the pie in the sky in my or something something like that some restaurant that's uh, yeah the pie in the sky is the restaurant and his character's name is dode yeah uh, dode that's right is, there's a lot of unique character names in this movie but go, anyway mm-hmm. continue um and 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 it's one of my my favorite favorite scenes in this because he goes up to ask for information and and Dode is like he's like basically saying just stay away from this you don't want to have any part of this and uh, he ends up punching him uh, Joseph Gordon ends up punching Dode in the face and there's a bunch of his guys are like sitting behind the dumpster and he goes he goes hey anybody want to anyone a piece of this i have all five of my senses and i slept last night which gives me six more than you guys you know, <laughs> <like that. laughs> and uh um it, it, so it's it's this it's this constant like finding it's it's just like any murder mystery noir type movie where he's he keeps on finding little details and he he goes after the detail and then and then he finds m- even more people to ask things and then there's some there's some occasional confusing things that happen in the mm-hmm. movie like actual plot confusing things the dialogue itself is going to confuse you a lot especially if you're not like i said i watched this with subtitles uh i would have never picked up on the fact that he was calling like uh bad guys or people of interest yeggs in mm. this mm-hmm. did you pick did you see that he was calling people like there's a point where he's in the vice principal's office which by the way played by richard roundtree which is great yes um uh there's a point in there where he's like was like you can't just be pulling me off the pulling me out of here and putting me in this in, in this in this room or everything what if some just yegg found me you you saw uh, some yeg saw me come in here or whatever and i was like what the fuck does he mean by yeg and he's got to be long enough to figure out what he meant by bulls i did not know what he meant by bulls yegs. were cops i figured that out but it took me three or four times because yeah. a couple of sentences it made it sound like he was referring to the principal and the vp it's a lot of really interesting shit that he does with yeah the, the dialogue and the setting because they're they're all high school students but almost none of this takes place in school sometimes they're they appear to be at school even though it's dusk like uh it's more of part of the language like 
the way that they say, uh, who's he been eating with lately? Yeah. Uh, as part of like, you know, who's he hanging around with? Like, and, you know, they do spell it out to mean lunch. You know, who's he hanging out with at lunch? But it does carry a, a larger meaning than that. Who you mm -hmm. been eating with lately? Um, the language about this film is, I think, one of the most interesting things about it. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated that the, the t detective work here is essentially ass beating one at a time. Either you'd beat ass or you'd get your ass beat, but mm -hmm. it's always with a motive. It's all like he beats Dode's ass so that the other guy, uh, the football player who apparently can't ever get to play, um, <clears throat> yeah. he will take <laughs> notice. And so he does. And so he, mm -hmm. then he fights that guy and beats his ass. Uh, and then one of the other guys comes for him and beats his ass. And well, it's yeah. just... It's all about getting the attention of the next higher up until he's finally in the room with the pin and the pin says, you got my attention. I'm curious yeah. to see what you're going to say next. That was the <laughs> interesting thing about his fight with the football player. And God, I, would, I, I, need, to, I need to have this uh, up, the IMDB up, so I can keep these character names. Yeah, Brad. Brad is his name. Yeah, Brad's his name. Um, the reason why he, he gets in the fight with Brad, uh, played by Brian White. You've seen him a million times, by the way. Mm -hmm. He's been in a ton of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, re reason why he does that is he wanted to see who would, yeah, who would take notice of, of this. Uh, he knew that because he know, what he saw was that nobody helped him out during this entire, in, in, during this entire fight. And then he, then it, it leads him to the next person. And like you said, it gets all the way to the pen played great wonderfully by lucas haas yeah he's awesome and 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 uh and uh there's all sorts of nice little character touches in this i love that scene where he picks him up in the van and joseph gordon levitt is like has is this he's in this crooked position in the van looking down at, at lucas haas who's sitting there with a lamp next to him <laughs> a there's a lamp, lamp a lit lamp in the van and uh and and it's this conversation that takes place in this van and then by the time they by the end of it they let him out and it's at the same place that he got picked up uh it's like a it's like the the circle the the yeah. the, the, the uh pickup circle basically uh and the uh, the scene with the uh, the scene with the vice principal too, where he th this is this is where you this is sort of the tip offs. Even though they again, this is much like when I was talking about the you know the 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 woman uh, across the street from the woman in the window, whatever the movie yeah. is called. Uh, the, they don't let they don't let in at all in this. There's nothing any joke that's told in this. They don't they don't uh, let you in on it. Um, but there's some moments in there that, that, that when they say things, it goes a little bit above what is normal. So like, there's a point where he, he turns to Richard Roundtree and he says something to the effect of like, if you want to do something, do something. Otherwise I'll meet you at the, I'll meet, I'll see you at the parent conference. <laughs> <laughs> And and so that so all this typical school stuff and typical parent stuff. There's a the, the it keeps showing up. Like when he meets the pen, they're like they go upstairs, and the pen's mom is like, it's like, oh, what would you like to drink? I don't have any juice. It looks like, and they're sitting there like staring at each other with like a bowl of cereal in between them, and, then, and it's just. Uh, this movie is so incredibly unique and I'm surprised that over the years, especially now that Ryan Johnson has become this, this name director. And I know that a lot of people didn't like last Jedi, although I think it's just one of the most divisive star Wars movies ever made. Mm -hmm. 
Knives Out, everybody, I think, loved. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of surprised that we haven't gotten sort of a retro back to this movie um, where people are talking about it a lot. Just people are talking about it a lot. So unique that uh, from what I could find, uh, he wrote this right out of film school and couldn't get anybody to produce it because it was considered too unique for a first-time director. Mm -hmm. So he got the money from his family. And once his family put enough money up, a couple of other investors he knew put in the rest. But it took him years. It took him years of being rejected by Money Men because it's such a unique movie. And you, by, by choosing this movie, you made my super secret double feature uh, incredibly hard <laughs> uh, because yeah. it is such a unique film. There's almost nothing else like it. Uh, and that's, I think, why I enjoy it so much. It swings for the fences. Mm. And... It succeeds, I think, um, in being this sort of cross between, you know, high school, but mostly an o- a modern homage to those detective novels and the film noir uh, detective stories. Um, I just, I had seen it once before, years ago. Um, and so I watched it again last night in prep for this podcast, and I was blown away. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the performances were all good, um, especially Joseph Gordon-Levitt, because you think of Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this era as like the 10 things I hate about you, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's as fun of a movie as that is. Nobody has to try very hard in that movie. Maybe, maybe, uh, Julia, Julia styles in that yeah. one scene where she reads the poem. Um, mm-hmm. but this is a, not too far away from that era. And this is an incredible performance. He is yeah. as good or better than anyone in the film. Uh, my favorite anecdote I wanted to talk about is when he sees, uh, the black Mustang muscle mm-hmm. car in an empty parking lot. Mm-hmm. So he picks up this huge boulder and starts walking over to it and he pulls it up because he's going to smash the window and then he looks up and sees the guy, uh, Tug, <laughs> yeah. just uh, walking towards him and he's like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't need to break the window. Never, once, breaks, the never once gets into a run either. He walks no. this way the entire time yeah, over there. The Terminator walks. Um yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. It's fresh, uh, and you're right. I think it does deserve kind of a, a renaissance, after, especially after Knives Out. The uh, the funny uh, thing, too, uh, you know, um, before we got on here where you were talking about how Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the end explains everything yeah. all in that one shot. It's beautiful. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of scenes in the in the movie that are take place on this football field, the, it, eerily sort of reminiscent of the Breakfast Club and the way he shoots some of these the the angle of this, uh, some of the angles of this football field. But it's this dirty, muddy football field that he has conversations on, and uh, and uh, apparently uh, the, he he did this before. He did he had done this uh, scene before. Uh, where they came back and when they started editing it, they realized that the sound was just terrible. And in fact, on the brick Blu-ray, you get to see uh, the original, um, you know, of this, and uh, awesome. and it's and it's all it's all this one shot of a, like a circular shot going around this thing. But the sound is awful, mm. and um and so they had to reshoot it like eight months later. And apparently the football field had been just completely redone. Like it looked immaculate. Oh, no. uh, so, so during that last scene, they had to shoot 
from above she from oh, down wow. low so that they, you didn't see how how pristine the field looked uh oh, on that so it's fascinating how many directors would share a mistake like that that's pretty interesting yeah he well he in the in the deleted scenes he he um introduces all of them and there's one where they had this big dream sequence where emily draven shows up from the sky or something and he goes and he says something to the effect of like when you watch this you're going to be like what were they thinking you know Mm. (laughs) basically because it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever um uh yeah uh we didn't mention nora zahetner who's who plays the femme fatale in this in this uh essentially in this you probably seen her before she was in heroes if you ever saw heroes i can't remember what her power was in heroes heroes is one of those shows that had like what one good season and then second season it fell off and then yes third season he was like oh okay we'll do something else and it still didn't work yes um but uh, that's where I remember her from. But she's been in a ton of stuff. Like if you look at her credits, she's still working today. She, I think I saw her in an episode of Marin once when Marin had Mark Marin had his show. Uh, I think I'd seen her in some other thing. But uh, but uh, um, of course, Megan Good. Uh, this is just not the not the type of movie you typically see Megan Good in. I love I love the fact that there's some there's some uh, actors in here that you wouldn't normally see in a movie like this that are that are in here and uh megan good is great um that character is is so memorable just from the just just from the the fact that she's always around the the stage and has all these lap dogs around it's just crazy to me yeah um but yeah joseph gordon levitt is amazing lucas haas is great um uh but uh yeah so yeah brick brick Brick. is uh is, is 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 good it is it is good it is good so now mm. it falls to me to deliver the super secret double feature be very very quiet secret what secret our dirty little secret i tell you something i've never told anyone oh yes was very difficult <clears throat> because as i said this movie is not like too many other movies if i were mm-hmm. if i were to go by Similar tone, I would almost have to choose another Ryan Johnson film, like Ooh. Knives Out or The Lookout. Uh, maybe even he didn't, a little... He didn't do The Lookout. Oh, he didn't direct The Lookout? Okay, just Joseph so. Gordon-Levitt was in that? Yeah. Okay, he I thought he it. directed that. No, I don't think so. I'll oh, look sure it up right. real quick. Um, well, anyway, that was another movie I thought of uh, that maybe I should have made my super secret double feature because I'd eliminated it thinking it was a Ryan Johnson film. Um, <laughs> I also... Uh, Thought about the obvious film noir stuff like Chinatown, I think would be a very mm. nice double feature for this film. Uh, but I, I find myself, and I think you're going to be the same way, uh, not wanting to make a conventional obvious choice uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to this. So I, I do want to tell you a few that I considered and why, and then I'm going to give you my presentation. All right. Uh, the first one I thought about was uh, Donnie Brasco. Yeah, I actually thought about this. And there's a certain undercover element to part of Brick where he goes to work for the pin uh, for his own reasons. And the pin doesn't necessarily trust him, but he's essentially undercover uh, playing two roles there. Uh, I also thought about Disturbia um, because that's a (laughs) high school aged film where there's a mystery um, that somebody's trying to to solve. I like that movie 
more than most. I very, mm. very nearly went with Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where Steve Martin uh, inserts himself into clips from obscure black and white film noir. Mm. Um, but in the end, what I decided I wanted to go with, um, I feel like Brick is about love and loss and mystery. Um, <clears throat> he and Emily DeRaven aren't even together anymore, but he obviously still loves her. And then he loses her, and there's a mystery to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and to hit all three of those notes, I've decided to go with the Virgin Suicide. Ooh, that's a that's a solid choice. Thank you. I uh, I preface this by saying the movie is called The Virgin Suicides for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. There is suicide at the end of this movie, and um, if that's a trigger for you, you know, as it is for me these days, uh, mm-hmm. at least know that going in. Uh, the Virgin Suicides is from Sofia Coppola, Coppola, um, <clears throat> and. Is that her debut as a director? believe so, yes. I think this one came before it the did. one. Yeah, okay. So this is Kirsten Dunst. Um, James Caan is the father, but there are a bunch of sisters who live in this really conservative Christian home and almost never leave the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, the boys in town, specifically the neighbor boy across the street and his friends, are curious at first and ultimately maybe a little obsessed with finding out why don't they ever leave the house? What is up with their lives? What is so unique about it? Um, and uh, <clears throat> Channing, not Channing Tatum, Josh uh, Hartnell is mm-hmm. in this, um, and he plays Hart- Hartnett. 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 Hartnell yeah. is a hockey player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live radio, folks. Um, yes, it is. He plays a love interest for Kirsten Dunst. The, things culminate with a big homecoming dance the girls get to go to, and they all have dates. Um but, you know, essentially, these parents are so protective that you know, the girls end up taking their lives uh, rather than continuing to live this existence. And despite the, the heaviness of that, this is a beautiful film, both mm-hmm. in terms of visuals and in terms of it's just lyrical. It just it pulls on your nostalgia from when you were younger and you were curious about the lives of people you saw at school but didn't know anything about. Um, but it, it's about pain. It's about pain and loss and love and um, the mystery of this family of girls. Uh, I've seen this movie three times. Uh, I like it mm-hmm. more every time I've seen it. What, what do you feel about Virgin Suicide? I haven't seen it in forever, but it's one. If you're if you're familiar with Sofia Coppola, like there's a mood that she puts you in into in almost a dreamlike state. In nearly every movie that she makes, um, and it's. That's that's what I remember the most. I, I probably haven't seen this movie since it came out, um, uh, but I just remember the the mood that it that it sets all the way throughout. Like I believe it's melancholy all the way through. It's it is. just it's just um, uh, it's one of those type of things. And I remember really liking this too. I, I will need to revisit it uh, at some point. Um, uh, but, uh, but this was, uh, an outstanding debut that of course led on to lost in translation. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, it is, I just, I remember, I remember really liking this. Um, so yeah, I think this is a solid choice. I think this works pretty well, uh, with it. Um, uh, it's, it is, it is probably an unconventional double feature, but I think it works really, really well. So, yeah. um, well, and I'm, I will probably always have unconventional double features because, mm-hmm. you know, if you were really running a movie theater and doing a double feature with Brick, you would run Chinatown. You're not stupid. That's going to make you the most money, and it 
it's clearly an influence on this film. Well, it's like in Donnie Darko, that one theater decided to, they were going to show Evil Dead and The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, you know, as a double feature. So, uh, you know, that, you know, might as well. <laughs> you might uh, as well. Um, so, uh, no, I, I, I think that's what I, I like the most. Um, uh, I, I, I like going in a, in a different direction from what everybody's thinking uh, because um, it, if it were easy to just come up with a, an exact uh, match for this movie, then every, you know, there's no, I don't know. There's, there's something missing. I think from that, if you come up with the, the exact match. Yeah. Um, one, one that I thought of as a, as you know, you know, if you want to, if you want to have uh, kids in high school, murder, all this type of stuff. Uh, uh, my own private Idaho came to mm. mind. Mm. uh when uh when watching this and uh not that well uh, also cruel intentions uh came to mind watching this just it's just when there's adult when when kids are playing adults yeah yeah in my own private idaho they're definitely not playing adults they they're kids yeah uh but cruel intentions it's almost like there's they don't have they don't even need parents in that movie you know like they're just all self-sustaining yeah uh so, uh, but uh, no, I, I I like the Virgin Suicides as a double feature for this. I All mean, right, that's good. So next week's homework um, is uh, the 2003 western directed by Kevin Costner, Open Range, mm-hmm. um, starring Kevin Costner, Robert Duvall, Diego Luna's in this. Uh, Michael Gambon is the villain, and he's fucking awesome. Um, <clears throat> I have seen this movie. Uh, many, many times. It's one of my favorites, but it still seems to fly under the radar for most. I mm-hmm. think if you ask most people about Kevin Costner and Westerns, they would probably say Dances with Wolves, maybe even Wyatt Earp. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Open Range just kind of flew under the radar, and it is a slow burn that ends with a bang. Now, let's get to some questions. I think we have time. Yeah. yeah. Question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. So the first question here is, uh, we know they will eventually do the X-Men in the MCU. They will likely recast every single role. I'm glad this question asker did not ask for the full roster. because that I am too. Pick one or two and give me your best casting choice. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, looking at which ones you did, I went with Charles Xavier. I, uh, I'm going to go with Brian Cranston on Ooh, uh, that one. That's a good one. Um, uh, basically I just kind of took a look at the comic, uh, drawings of these characters so that yeah. I wasn't being, uh, uh, influenced by the fact that you have Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy playing the character. Um, look back at some of the comic drawings and everything. And Brian Cranston came to mind, uh, on, on that one for some reason. So, you know, for, for, for many X-Men fans, that's probably like blasphemy, but that's what it looked like to me. So, no, um, I think that's a good pick. We know we can do bald. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's true. Um, and, uh, for Jean Grey, I have Sydney Sweeney, uh, oh, for that one. Um, the girl from Euphoria. Yeah. Yeah. She's from Euphoria. Um, uh, I think it's, I think it's, you know, you, you, you first, you're like, oh, well, who's, who's a smoking redhead that we could put in as Jean Grey and, <laughs> right. you like know, hair um, doesn't exist. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and, uh, I, there, there's no, 
there's no conformed look of Jean Grey in the comics because I went through a whole bunch of images and like, you know, she looks one way in this one series. And then I think there's a whole comic series that's just called Jean Grey. Oh, where wow. She's got this short red hair bob of some sort. And, and I was like, wow, oh, it'd be kind of cool if I could come up with someone there, but I couldn't really. So, so, uh, the sort of the, uh, the, the, con- the consensus in my brain there, Sydney Sweeney for Jean. I like that. So. I like that. She's, uh, mm-hmm. she's also in once upon a time in Hollywood, but it's a fairly small role. Yeah. She, she goes over and gives Dakota Fanning like some updates of yeah. what Brad Pitt's doing. And that's about it. All right. So I decided to go with storm, not because I like that character. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I don't, uh, but because I like this actress, uh, Amanda Stenberg, um, who played yeah. Lou in hunger games and played, uh, the main character in the hate you give, mm-hmm. uh, really good actress, really charming, engaging performer. Um, yeah. and then I'll be, I'll do some sacrilege here and I'll cast Wolverine. Um, and I'm going to put Ben Foster in that role and I'm yeah. going to tell you why. Um, I'm down with it. <laughs> alpha dog. <laughs> taught me that Ben Foster could do Berserker Wolverine um, because in Alpha Dog, he is menacing, but also constantly screaming and grunting. Uh, I think he's got lots of range for the quiet moments. I think he could bulk up. Um, and uh, I, I just love him. I want to see Ben Foster in everything. Um, mm-hmm. But that was my pick. Um, all right, mm-hmm. on to another question. I was honestly thinking with the power of the dog, where I could tell the acting, camera work, and storyline were all great in their own right, but I just couldn't buy into it. What What is a movie like that for you? Yeah, interesting. I, I, I don't know if I saw anybody who liked Power of the Dog in any of the comments that I saw. Yeah, it um, seemed to be not a favorite of the group. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and, it's, and, you know, I recall when I first started watching it, I was like, what the hell is this movie? I don't get it. What What's going on? And it, it really just sort of grabbed me by the end of it. So mm-hmm. um, if you're, if you're one of those that can, if it's if 30 minutes is, is not going, if not doing it for you, I can totally understand. Um, uh, this one, Nomadland for me, nice. uh, the, you know, talking about great performances and incredible cinematography. I don't know about the storyline part of this because uh, there's not much of a storyline of Nomadland, but Nomadland just did not do it for me. I just I I couldn't get involved in it at all. Um, uh, but I understood I understood why that it why it was good, why it was being praised. Um, uh, movie won Best Picture. <laughs> um, and uh, but I just uh, I just it wasn't for me. That's just not a movie that that uh, I, I'm going to be watching over and over again. That's a good answer. I uh, I'm going off book again with another Best Picture winner, um, The Shape of Water. Yeah, yeah. After it won Best Picture, and I am not typically a Guillermo del Toro fan. I mm-hmm. recognize his work is almost always gorgeous, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I'm trying to think what I like of his movies the most. Might be Hellboy. Um, but w- mm. when Shape of Water won Best Picture, I was like, well, I'm going to have to watch this thing. So I did. And just as the question says, I could tell the camera work was good. Uh, I could tell the acting was outstanding. I just didn't feel moved. I yeah. kept thinking about The Matrix for some reason. And I think it was visuals. Uh, but maybe I was distracted. I could see, I could see the quality. It just didn't connect with me. And I think that's Guillermo, the spirit of the question. Guillermo del Toro also has a fascination with creatures in 
water tanks and <laughs> like <laughs> like that and the hellboy movies and even in uh, nightmare alley it's not the same thing but i felt like it it should be included because uh, he's got like a baby in formaldehyde or something that shows up in this thing so i'm like god man you love you love your creatures in jars don't you his agent calls and guillermo i got a pitch for you well does, is there any any, any <laughs> creature in a container of water no <laughs> yeah well pass yeah i can't do that um all right i think we have time for a few more yeah um who what actor whose switch in range surprised you the most i guess it could just be actor whose range surprised you the most um and the answer from the question asker is jim carrey from liar liar Mm -hmm. to man on the moon yeah yep that certainly was a um a big step for him because he he went method on uh, Man on the Moon. He like he really became Andy Kaufman, and they had the same birthday and everything. A yep. lot of weird stuff about that. But um, for me, it's Bill Murray. Uh, Bill Murray uh, Excellent. Uh, made his career on the this one particular type of comic character. I mean, except for Caddyshack, he's usually the wise ass character of any movie that he was in, um, and. Uh, and uh, he, um, when he did Rushmore, that's where I was like, whoa, he's really different. And then Lost in Translation and Broken Flowers and on and on now at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had only known him as this one thing for a really long time. I guess in The Man Who Knew Too Little, he's not like a, um, a wise ass in that. He's he's basically the, he's a, a sort dumbass. of an, <laughs> Yeah, he's just a dumbass. But um but uh for the most part that's what we knew bill murray from and to see him in rushmore that was that was a an incredible leap for me uh uh in his acting skill yeah i wanted to go with andrew garfield because andrew garfield is my homie now after tick tick boom and i just want to answer andrew garfield for everything yeah um but i'm gonna go with zendaya zendaya oh yeah how to say her name because zendaya Zendaya. i first knew Mm -hmm. her um when she first was coming on my radar, it was that she had been cast in Spider-Man and she was a model, singer, and a former Disney actress. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the first season of Euphoria after having seen the first Spider-Man movie. And that girl can act. Mm-hmm. Um, I have stopped watching season two of Euphoria at this point. It's just a little too much for me. Fucking uh, brutal. And I'm not sure I want to take that journey anymore i'm happy to read about it the next Mm -hmm. day uh but i watched the first four episodes of this season and she's still killing it as an Mm -hmm. actress uh and i never expected that at all it's like yeah it's like britney spears being cast in crossroads and then being meryl streep all of a sudden like it came out of nowhere for me and i'll 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 add to this uh you haven't seen these episodes nor am i saying you should but the the ones that have come after those four the one uh where she is for the first 10 minutes of that episode is just in this manic angry state all the way through she probably says fuck more than she has ever said in her life in that one scene. 
um, and it, it's draining. It's going to be. It's draining to watch. It's drain. I can only imagine what it was like to actually be in that character at that right. moment. Those are the one. That's the that's the sort of the easy one where you're like, oh my god, can she shout good? You know, it's it's it, you know, there's a lot of shouting going on. But then in the next episode after that where she's sort of doing the withdrawal thing and the whole, like, you know, uh, she's trying to get back to normal and everything. That's where I think you can see the mark of a great actor there because right after an episode like that that we saw previous where she has come down and this is where she is there and she can still pull you in, Mm. um, uh, that's uh, that's an incredible job she's doing on that. Uh, And... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, uh, more and more as she gets more complex roles uh, yep. over the years. So. Yeah. I also want to point out in the comments, uh, Josh said, Kevin James in Becky. That's 100% yeah. a good answer. <laughs> That's totally right, yes. I never thought he had that in him. Um, and then another one that I saw here that I wanted to point out. Uh, Channing Tatum being suddenly hilarious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Channing Tatum, because he'd been in like all these Step Up movies, and he'd been in Dear John and all that, and then yeah. Twenty One Jump Street. <laughs> Fuck you, science! Yeah, I love <laughs> Fuck that you shit. Science. I love that shit. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, Ryan Gosling. Uh, you said Gosling. Uh, that's the thing. I think he's sort of more and more turned into a comic actor over after a while. Like. Um, you know, we all knew that he could do the serious stuff. That if you, your first one, your first movie that you ever saw him in probably was Murder by Numbers, probably if, mm-hmm. if, if you saw. It. And uh, we knew he was good then, and he's in a lot of like just very straight dramas for a while. But uh, we started seeing him like you know he's just you can see that he's just underneath. He's got some real funny. Uh, he's got a funny bone in him, and and the Big Short is where he really like that's where the culmination of all of that. I think in the Big Short, that's my favorite performance of his. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. And then he did the uh, God. My brain is not functioning today. The movie with Russell Crowe and the detective thing that's hilarious from Oh, no, the Nice Guys. The Nice Guys. Uh, mm-hmm. That was where I think for me that's the funniest I think I've seen him. Oh, he's um, unbelievable <clears throat> in that. All right, Russell Crowe might even be the funniest he's ever been there. Oh, that's a good point, because he doesn't do much comedy at all. Nope. Uh, but he was hilarious in that freaking movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, so I will ask this question, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, okay. I think we both have a similar answer for this, but I think it's uh, worth at least expounding on. The question is, what do you look for in a new movie that makes it bond to your soul and become an all-time favorite? Is it the mm-hmm. writing, particularly impressive cinematography, Etc. Yeah, I mean, I don't go into any movie like it better have this or I don't like it. Uh, it's 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 not to that point. Um, it's it so many have different... a, 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 some kind of creature suspended in a water tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's always something that uh, of movies that I really, 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 really enjoy that infest my soul or whatever um, that they had they had different kinds of things i'm a big plot guy if you give me an intricate plot where tiny details lead up to big details and everything like that and it's done in a satisfying manner typically really like it but um i was thinking of you know a a movie that isn't generally um like unanimously well regarded like death proof Hmm. where there's a scene where kurt russell's talking to vanessa ferlito outside the bar 
and and uh and he does that whole like poem that he's supposed to do so that she'll dance she'll do she'll do the lap dance for him um and just that whole scene outside drew me into death proof like like that's the part when i want to when i pop if i pop in death proof that's the that's the scene that i'm like just waiting to gravitate towards um the uh in city of god it's you know the kids it's the kids becoming gangsters and just and it's told through the lens of this guy who wants to be a photographer um everything about city of god just turns like that that movie is just dynamic filmmaking all the way through story cinematography dialogue just great little scenes um it's an epic film it's just one of those things and in the godfather i was talked about plot godfather's got those little plot details that lead to certain big actions later on in the movie so yeah i don't have i don't have any one thing that i'm looking for i've seen a lot of great cinematography on movies that are not good um or that didn't draw me in so it's not that i've seen movies with great soundtracks that aren't very good you know it's 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 usually some element of story that i have to that i like I, I will say there are two things here. First of all, it has to end um, because I have fallen in love with movies partway through like AI, artificial intelligence mm-hmm. that then just refuse to end. Yeah, and they yeah, just yeah. keep going and ruin the, the whole experience or that irresistible movie with Steve Carell where yeah. 90% of it is charming political <laughs> dramedy and then uh-huh. it takes a left turn into the sun at the end yeah um, so i wait till the movie's done before i even consider if this is a movie that's going to bond to my soul but the true test is just how long it stays in my head how long do i spend thinking about it after i've seen it how often do i find myself discussing it like gone baby gone or like you said city of god um <clears throat> or Parasite, uh, mm-hmm. I find a movie just living in my head and has me chewing on it and pondering it and wondering what I can learn from it. That is how I know a movie is bonded to my soul is I can't stop thinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, live chat, for uh, once again uh, bringing it uh, today. Yep. You got a lot of like answers in there that we normally wouldn't. So yep. uh, good stuff. So it's a. Uh, I think you're a big enhancer to the show. So, uh, but uh, that's going to do it. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com eating my breakfast and alternating between the Coke and the coffee. And I'm like, I forgot to put sugar in this coffee, but I actually hadn't, I had already sugared it. Mm -hmm. It's just that the (laughs) the Coke was so sweet. It made the coffee taste unsweet. I finished the Coke first, still had half the coffee left. And by the time I was finishing the coffee, it tasted too sweet. So there was a relativity to the sweetness of sugared drinks. And I'm going to explore and see if it extends to brownies and other edible delectables. All right, I am recording on Audition. Audition? Audible. Audition. Hi, I'm Chris Atkinson. Yeah, and I'm Jeremy Scott. (laughs) Nice.
Any questions? Any questions? Uh, did you did you watch any shitty uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson movies this morning? <laughs> <laughs> Not this morning, no. <laughs> um, and that is usually what I do, though. Um, right? Yeah. Some people wake and bake, but you wake and rock. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's right. That's right. What would be the equivalent of four twenty for a rock movie? Um. 658 i don't know <laughs> i mean there's still rampage i haven't seen that so you can always do that too. have you really not seen rampage Mm-mm. you saw the helicopter earthquake one right uh, san andreas no i didn't see that either oh my god you got some ho- homework there because i mean skyscraper is by far the worst of those three but mm-hmm. you know those those other two are what's well, like the difference between a d and an f really it's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's like <clears throat> oh god rampage is I want now. I want you to now. I want you to make a YouTube video of you reacting live to Rampage. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick thinks we're starting at eleven. He doesn't realize we have fifteen minutes. He's like, "Are they running late?" What Um, a dig, Patrick is. Yeah, California Love. I was, uh, I was, I was actually wondering if they were going to like dust off the Tupac hologram for that. Apparently, that had been rumored. and I, I haven't seen the Tupac hologram, but apparently people hate that. Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's not, I don't think it was well received. I remember they made a commercial for a vacuum with Fred Astaire dancing with the vacuum. Mm-hmm. This was like in the 90s, I think. And Fred Astaire's estate got all pissed because they hadn't asked for permission or whatever. And they were like, he's oh, dead. Yeah. You know, let yeah. him stay dead. Um, mm. <clears throat> that's kind of how I feel about Tupac. Unless he's not dead. But at this right, point, right. if he's still alive... He's not coming back. He left he's, a lot of clues that he's not. I don't know much about that, except that no, there's a conspiracy it's, it's, theory. It's what, peop- it's what people read into with everything that comes out. Like he came out with that uh, that Machiavelli album or whatever, and everybody's like, Machiavelli faked his own death. Ah, yeah, that type of thing. I see. Or, well, he, dark- or he wrote about it or something. I don't know. Dark Side of the Moon lines up perfectly with Wizard of Oz. Even though it doesn't in many Even cases. Even though it doesn't. <laughs> Our brains are really powerful. Like to overcome sheer logic mm-hmm. that strongly, it's just fascinating to me because everybody, not everybody, most people have something silly that they kind of think might be true, like Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster or whatever. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were young and the Bermuda Triangle was like nightmare inducing? Like, yeah. I lived in fear of ever going near the Bermuda Triangle. I haven't heard a thing about that for 20 years. Yeah, I know. I know. Science mm-hmm. ruining all the conspiracies one mm-hmm. at a time. Fuck it. Yeah. Science. You know what's weird to me is I knew that flat earthers were a thing and they believed the earth were flat was flat, but I didn't realize how far they've taken it. Mm. I knew mm. that they had gone a long way to debunk everything that they they see, but I didn't realize they had invented a whole other type of thing like giant ice wall that surrounds the flat planet that you can't get over and that's why yeah and that nasa has uh has people there to make sure that nobody ever goes to antarctica so that the secret is kept right and um and i was watching a i was watching a flat earth debunk video that showed how the flat earthers think uh in one of their own videos showing in this video and like they were showing like how earth and the sun and all the planets are sitting here doing this like 
curly fry formation type of thing to explain why the flat earth still exists. And I was like, God damn, guys. Seriously. Occam's razor. I kept expecting somebody to say, scram. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get out of here, kid. You bother me.